0: you for joining Cutting the Confusion, the Pledge to Recycle Plastics podcast. Episode 2, Learning About Contamination. Pledge to Recycle's Plastic is the education and engagement part of the recycling charity Recoup. We provide the link between the consumer and the plastics industry. By working with Recoup members, we will ask your questions directly to the experts provide you with the recycling facts about plastic products that we all use in our day-to-day lives our focus is to cut the confusion around plastics recycling so today we're joined by adam reed adam can you tell us a little about who you are where you work and what your background is
1: yeah of course Uh, dr adam reed i'm the external affairs director at suez recycling and recovery uk limited Uh, What does that mean? It means I spend a lot of time talking with government, looking at policy reform. Um, I wouldn't say lobbying, but I think you know we're encouraging them, we're helping them, we're providing them with data so they can see what policy works, what policy doesn't, how you might change uh, material streams if you intervene with one kind of policy or another. Um, And then I've got an internal role where I'm bringing some of the policy changes back to the um, back to the machine, if you like, and we start talking about well, how do we change our infrastructure? How do we change the services that we offer so that we're maximizing the value in the material and ensuring we deliver sustainable waste management wherever possible. So a bit internal and a bit external. My background, a bit of everything, really. Um, I'm ex-local government, but only for two years where I kind of did my apprenticeship, um, decided to go and do a PhD exploring all the pain that I'd suffered. As a local authority officer with recycling I was recycling in Kensington and Chelsea and recycling um. rates were hovering at about 12 percent in the mid 90s a beautiful part of the world but but had some real challenges high-rise housing lots of multiple occupancy twice a week rubbish collection so we were making it really easy for the public to, to you know to, 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 to not have to recycle and I think I learned a lot from interacting with other London boroughs who were doing different things I learned a lot from you know, being part of the first recycling centre in, in London, the, the Murph at Cremorne Wharf, where we did sorting and segregation. And uh, I learned a lot about sort of the consumer engagement agenda, because why aren't you using these beautiful services that we've got on offer? And why aren't you taking advantage of of some of the great innovation that we were providing? So having, having learned a lot in two years, I decided to do a PhD, understanding policy reform and what worked and what didn't and where was the UK going and what was likely to be a great intervention as we entered sort of the noughties. Um, and um, the PhD took a little longer than was planned because I set up a research unit and ended up becoming a consultant within academia because answering industry questions paid better and um, a, and was more immediate. You could turn around answers in three months and, and not wait for the third year of your PhD. That, that ultimately led to me becoming a, a fully fledged consultant. I went to ERM, I went to Um, I went to Hyder that became Arcadis and ended up Ricardo, which was AEA technology at the time and 15 years of consultancy I I got a bit fed up answering everybody else's problem and traveling the world trying to help get the right recycling system in the right place and the right communication to support it and uh, it was a knock on the door one day from Suez saying we got a great opportunity we'd love for you to come and get involved in helping UK PLC, UK government get recycling in the right place. And uh, we, you know, and, and, and I've been enjoying my, my, my tenure ever since, so almost four years in. And, I, and when I'm not talking to government or talking to my colleagues, I'm talking to um, brands, retailers, um, designers, who are all knocking on the door now going, we've heard about this policy reform. We don't get it, but it's gonna impact on my plastic bottle plastic lid it's going to impact on you know my waxy carton what do you think and and so I spend quite a bit of time with my colleagues talking about material change design packaging and how it works with the system that for for 20 years they've not really had to understand which is what happens after the consumer puts it in a bin not always the right bin there you go
0: so I think that certainly qualifies you as an expert for our questions today then (laughs) (laughs) thank you okay so um, most people, obviously, you've just touched on the differences and different systems, etc. And most people obviously have recycling bags or bins of various colours and sizes. OK, so we tend to have our recycling bin, our general waste bin, and we hear a lot about contamination. But can you just give us an overview of what contamination is in a nutshell?
1: Yeah, yeah I'm going I'm to start with a, with a slightly bigger picture. And, and it's going to sound a bit like some kind of crazy theory, but it's the 590s rule. And I think it's really important that we understand how the system works before we actually try to to understand contamination. So the 590s rule is for every piece of packaging put on the market, 90% of people could recycle it, 90% accurately, i.e. the right materials that are being asked of by the local scheme, 90% of the time, because there's going to be the odd occasion where they're in a hurry or they're away or whatever. So that's 390s. Which means by the time I handle it in a collection vehicle and I'm taking it to a reprocessing or a recycling center, I've already lost 10% of 10% of 10%. By the time I get it into my facility, you know, the best you can hope for is probably 90% efficiency on that production line. Because there's going to be a few things in there that shouldn't be in there. We'll come back to those. And there's going to be, you know, there's going to be an inefficiency simply because of the speed of the system or the depth of the material on the picking belt. So ultimately. 90% 90% is a pretty good figure for the efficiency of a recycling site. And then we pass that material once it's been sorted onto a reprocessing or a refining site where the final bit of plastic sorting is done or the paper goes in one direction and the, uh, and the card in another. And, and, and often that's about 90% efficient as well because there's going to be glues and things that are stuck together and the odd wrapper. So if you think about it, there's 590s of efficiency, 590%, which means for the 100% of material on the market on day one, we will recycle 59% of it a week later. Now that doesn't get us anywhere near to where government targets want us to be, which are at 70% and beyond. So for us to maximize recycling in this country for any material stream, but in this case, plastic, we need to make sure that more than 90% of the people are doing it, more than 90% of the time, and most importantly for this podcast, better than 90% accuracy. And so that leads us on to your question, which is contamination. So. I like to think of contamination in, in, a, in a number of different ways. There's, there's material in the wrong container. So let's say we've got a mixed recycling container at your house, and we're asking for plastic bottles, and we're asking for um, milk bottles or, um, or, or, or drinking bottles, either one. And yet somebody's put a black tub, a black tray, a yogurt pot, a plastic film if the service that is on offer hasn't specified those materials the pots the tubs the trays the films would be considered a contamination they're just the wrong material for that service and that might be because the facility that we're taking it to can't handle it or it might be that we haven't got the end markets ready so there's no there's no value in that in that particular material stream or it might just simply be that they end up in the wrong place at the wrong time later on in the system and therefore undermine the value of other materials. My second type of contamination is something like um, the material that might come off of a, a lasagna tray. And in the bottom of the lasagna, we haven't quite got all of the lasagna out, have we? Some of it's got baked in in the microwave because we're all very busy, aren't we? So, you know, you haven't quite scrubbed it properly. You've stuck it in a recycling bin. And ultimately some of that material is gonna end up in my, in my collection system. Now two issues arise from that one does any of that material get on the other materials that we're capturing for example, some of that moisture some of that some of that leftover food could end up on the paper that's in your bin that makes the paper less recyclable it changes the properties of the paper you get paper shape for want of a better phrase and therefore your impact is not on the plastic chain necessarily but it's on the other materials being collected at the same time and actually paper is such a prevalent material stream in the recycling bin of most households and has a decent value on the whole the last thing you want to do is undermine the paper system by leaving some some leftover residue on your on your plastics but there's a second issue associated with the leftovers on the plastics and um, if you think about our a plastic bottle, let's say a, a fizzy pop bottle, your brand of choice, of course. It, the way it is handled in a recycling facility will be based on essentially physical properties. It's based on weight. It's based on shape. Uh, sometimes it's based on uh, light refraction purposes, near infrared um, sorting technology. But the one thing that you can't change about a bottle in a recycling facility is when you sort by the paper, which tends to be flat, from bottles and cans that tend to be 3D, they will roll back down the sorting system, and the paper will roll up over the sorting system. And quickly, you could do a 2D versus 3D sort. And that way, you remove a lot of the cardboard and paper from the other material. Now, if you make your plastic bottle heavier, you change the way that it behaves. Now, ultimately in that system, it would still roll down, Um, but you've got to be conscious that a system has been designed with a particular flow of material in mind based on what we understand of composition in your bin. If you start to change the parameters of any of those materials because they've got things left in them or because they've got wet in your bin, then suddenly material that might have been separated quite simply now, is getting stuck together and um, one of my biggest bugbears, uh, and, and that of the operatives that run our, our recycling centers tends to be plastic film and carrier bags because our sites many of which are you know 10 years old but still very efficient just can't cope with things that wrap themselves around moving pieces of equipment and plastic films and plastic bags if we can't separate them by hand as they come in to so the conveyor belt system they tend to have a uh, an ability, uh, you know, an innate ability to wrap themselves around either some of our, our trummels, some of the sorting equipment, which means they have to stop and be cleaned, or they wrap themselves around other containers. And try sorting a, an aluminium can that's now got a plastic wrap layer on it, and you'll realise that we don't know what it is, and the machine doesn't know what it is, and you're ending up with a contamination that now feeds through the system, which means you may end up with the wrong material. In the wrong material bay at the end so what we thought was a high quality grade of paper has suddenly got a load of other stuff in it because the system couldn't cope with the stuff being different from how the we expect it to arrive
0: So i guess that would be similar with the textiles as well when people say to us about putting the odd tea towel or the odd t-shirt in i assume that's why that wouldn't be as well
1: Textiles are absolutely the same. And and, and don't get me wrong, we want to recycle all of these materials and, and we've got the capability of doing so. But if you're capturing them in a mixed nature, if your bin is commingled, to use a terrible industry phrase, but if it's a mixed recycling bin or box, the chances are it's going to stay mixed in the lorry. By the time we get it, it's partially compacted. It's had an opportunity over two or three hours to wrap itself around each other. We don't get something that looks terribly clean, even if you, you know, my mum, who's a great example of recycling, has kept everything clean, but everybody else that lives in her street is doing their own variation on it. By the time I get my my mum's recyclables, it doesn't look like my mum's recyclables. It looks like a version of, um, and and our job is to then try and do the best with what we get. So, yeah, being careful about not putting the unwanted items in the wrong place is a key part of contamination management.
0: So you mentioned the um, melted on lasagna within there as well. If it's been baked on and you've scraped and scrubbed and you can't get it off and it's just coated on, is that okay to put in or not?
1: Yeah, because it's not if it's baked on and it's hard, the chances are it's not going to contaminate the other the other streams. so the leakage impact is is minimized. And therefore, your bin's not going to end up all covered in lasagna. I don't, for the last thing you want to do is put you know, your lasagna straight in the bin after it's come out of the oven and you've eaten it because then there's going to be all sorts of stuff sliming about over the course of the next yeah. five hours. No, sometimes um, so, you, you sort of just can't get
0: that last crispy bit off. No, that, that, that crispy bit. And, totally. and,
1: and, and to be honest, a little bit of crispy around the edge is not going to change the the, the, the overall properties significantly on, on one lasagna tray to the next. Well, so, really- no, I, I wouldn't worry about scrubbing it till it till it's you know spotless that, that's probably <laughs> too much effort
0: that's good to know so I shall let uh, family and friends know because we get asked that one quite a lot
1: I, I can okay. imagine
0: so okay so we've sent all our recy- we've we've sorted our recycling properly we've got it in the right boxes we've sent it to you but we then get asked well what does it matter because it all goes in the same lorries and then you just take it away and either landfill it or burn it we know from previous episodes that we really do want the material, but can you just reassure us that we're not being conned and it is being recycled?
1: Of course I can. This is, this is, a, this is a question that's probably as old as I am in terms of recycling. When, when I was a local authority officer, we used the split back vehicle and one side for as mixed recycling and the other side was for the rubbish, the residual, the black bag, the box. And, um, and I think the most common complaint that was raised with the council when I was there was you just put it in the back of the lorry. And my answer to that was, yes, we are just putting it in the back of the lorry, but it's going in the left, which is recycling, not the right. And they went, there's two compartments on the back of a lorry. So I think, you know, from, from, from an industry perspective, yes, we've moved on a bit, but the, the, the bottom line remains the same, which is stuff that you recycle, the stuff that, you know, residents want to put out, if it's the right material that we're targeting, we will put it in the right part of whatever vehicle we're using, and we will make sure that vehicle gets to the right site. We are not taking rubbish trucks to our recycling centers, and nor are we taking recycling loads to our energy from waste or incinerators. There, there is no point. A, we're, we're legally responsible for that material. We, we've signed up to recycling it. Why wouldn't we? Two, good quality recyclate has value. We want to do our bit, working with our local authority partners to ensure that that value is retained in the system, is helping support the other services. Um, and C, you know, we, we are green. I mean, you know, we are a green industry. Surprisingly, people that work at Suez and our competitors honestly believe in, in effective sustainable waste management. We are resource managers. None of us would be tipping stuff in a, in, into, a, into a burner unless it was A, heavily contaminated in which case we can't recycle it, but you'd only know that after it's been into the recycling plant and we've had a good a good look at it on the floor, or B, it just hasn't got an end market and it's it's therefore residual waste. In which case, energy recovery is providing something more beneficial than simply landfilling, and you know that would be the case for you know certain plastics at the moment or, or nappies, but that 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 material stream is shrinking all the time in terms of what is destined to be to be disposed of.
0: So you just mentioned nappies there so i'm going to pounce on that one nappies recyclable or not recyclable
1: uh depend, depends on where you are I, um, I there's never a straightforward answer to the nappy is there um generally most authorities won't collect nappies it won't be part of your recycling scheme because of what's in them and the risk that that then plays on the rest of the system you know there's nothing worse and i've got to be honest I was at our MRF, our recycling site, materials recycling facility, MRF, um, as opposed to SMRF, little blue thing. Um, And just before lockdown started, and um, there's nothing worse when a a recycling load comes in, it's tipped on the floor, and it's about to be shoveled onto the conveyor belt for the first stage. And all of a sudden, somebody hits the emergency stop button. And you're like, what's going on? And immediately, you've had a quick look and, and, and there's half a dozen nappies, soiled nappies on your conveyor belt. Because the first thing you do, is everybody's out it's shower time it's you know it's 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 proper you know cleansing mode and all of that load that's just been put on the belt that's all got to be disposed of now because you've contaminated the other plastic bottles you've contaminated the 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 paper the fiber so nappies particularly soiled nappies that's a residual waste stream for now but there are recycling schemes in Europe and we've we've certainly looked at some of the technologies being deployed and whether or not they would be applicable in the UK and, and i would expect nappies to become far more part of the norm in terms of recycling over the next few years as we look at a system where you can capture them separately and not have them as part of the mix yeah. so and if for that's now, the... Them
0: out of the recycling bins
1: for now i would steer clear that you know they're, they're not ideal and let's be honest if you were going to instigate some kind of recycling collection system it's more likely to be from um, early learning centers and play groups than it is from households because that's where kids are for quite a you know a, for that period of their, you know, their, their growth when they're, they're active and they're using a lot of nappies. So again, if we were to put a system in place in the future, it may not be something that looks like a traditional collection system, but it would be more specific to that material stream.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So it's not in your bins at the moment, but potentially in future. Brilliant. Got it. Lovely. Okay. So can we tackle a few of the items that we know cause some confusion? So we've obviously spoken about HDPE, the milk bottles, and the PET, the drinks bottles. But, um, for example, the ones from the bathroom, such as shampoo, conditioner, cleaners, we tend to say, yes, put them in as bottles, but are you happy with that? Do we need to be careful?
1: On on, on the whole, it's a yes, because, you know, a shampoo bottle, the material stream is handleable. You know, we've got different types of uh, polymer or plastic grade that we can deal with in terms of end market. So I'm not worried about those types of container, um, but ideally we don't want a lot of shampoo left in the bottom or, or such like, because again, it's the liquid that could leak, that can have impacts elsewhere in the system. The ones we're a bit less supportive of would be bleach and cleaning agents, simply because if you leave their residue in there and that ends up getting crushed in the back of a lorry by the time it spurts out into the system the last thing you want is somebody getting a face load of you know bleach even if it's a little bit so again i think there's you know sometimes we forget about the health and safety of people working in our in our in our system you know covid has 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 shown that you can continue with waste management at the front line under difficult circumstances but what we don't want to do is just add increasing risk by having you know, bleach or other con- uh, other yeah. other types of cleaning agent that could, you know, get in, get in the eye or get in the hand and, and then you've got a real, yeah, real so local issue. so
0: people actually work out the plants and they are physically having to handle the waste. Ab- ab-
1: absolutely. And something that gets crushed, you know, you suddenly make a hole in a bleach bottle, it leaks a lot more effectively with, with a hole in it than it does without. And I, and I think we won't not compact mixed recyclables because the cost would be too great to move you know, what is effectively air a lot of the time. So I think keeping them out would would probably be a sensible, or at least having them rinsed.
0: Yeah, so making sure we've got them as empty as we can to make it as safe as possible. That makes sense. Okay, so thank you for confirming with that one. Um, Think about labelling. Can you help us, because we get very confused with having, what's the difference between a meat tray and a food tray (laughs) is
1: uh, well ultimately the the difference is what's in the tray um (laughs) as opposed to the tray itself um i i'm more interested in in what is the material that the tray is made of um and, and is it is it therefore going to go down one of my traditional handling routes so if it's um you know if it's a traditional tray, there's a good chance it will be recyclable in most locations. But again, you have to look at what your council is saying to put in and out. Um, always go back to what is the council saying, because they're your interface. Just because I've got infrastructure that might be able to cope with certain materials. If the council's not allowing it, then that means we don't want it. Um, so, so I think I don't worry about what it's containing. Think more about. Does it comply with what your council is asking you to put in your recycling bin? If the answer is yes, then we can, we have the technology and we have the processing capacity to be able to ensure that the polymers end up in the right system, whether it's HDPE, PET, PVC, the list goes on. Um, and, and over time, we'll be looking at more and more of those polymers more closely to ensure that we can segregate those effectively early um, because then the quality is retained.
0: So maybe if people are a little bit confused, talk to their local councils and... I, I think they as should. As well.
1: I, th- I think the council website should always be your default. I mean, they're more, every, every time I go out now, I see, you know, which isn't often during COVID, but when when you're out with the crews, you know, there's lots and lots of bins these days that have got stickers on them trying to simplify the what's in and what's out. And and I always think, if in doubt, leave it out, which you know isn't always seen as a positive message. But I'd rather you erred on the cautious side and didn't give me stuff that you hoped could be recycled or had heard. Last night by somebody who clearly isn't an expert, but you were having dinner with them, that it's recyclable. I mean, ask the expert and the expert in this case will be the local authority because they're the ones that have let the contract. They're the ones that have specified what they expect to be recycled or not. So if they're saying no, the answer is no. If they're saying yes, the answer is yes. And if they're not saying, well, then you need to ask them to clarify because uncertainty is where we end up with contamination issues.
0: Now that makes sense. OK, so similar line, um, pots, tubs, trays or pots and tubs. So your yogurt pot, face cream, margarine, ice cream, those sort of things. As long as it's specified that the council can pick it up. Yeah. Any preference lids on, lids off? So that's a very
1: good question. Actually. I mean, most authori- <laughs> most authorities will collect, will, will collect the bulk of those materials you just mentioned, but not all. So again, check, be exactly. careful. Yep. Um, we, we can handle them um they're not generally not an issue to us although the smaller the pots you know particularly you know the um uh, the ladies face creams that tend to be you know very dainty don't you Or maybe the lip balms or another yeah. one you've got to be a little bit careful you with know, those because they are so small that much of our equipment you know is dealing with big lumps of cardboard and large plastic bottles and, and suddenly you get these really small things they, they can drop through the system and end up in the in the residual or the waste pile where they would probably end up going for energy recovery. So again, um, with the lid, it's small as well. So the one thing that you can do to guarantee that there's a chance that your lid will be recycled is to is to put it on the top of the bottles. Um, yeah. because and, and and the same with the with, with, with these kinds of tub and trays, you know, if it's got a lid, yeah, put it on and then we'll deal with that at the relevant point for our plant or the next stage of the refining and reprocessing.
0: Great, so we can make sure we do that that's fine. Okay, black plastic again, I think this is going to come down to local authorities, but does black plastic cause you a problem.
1: Black plastic is one of those great myths of waste management isn't it it's like everybody talked about it as the you know the worst thing ever. and it's not. I mean, the thing about black plastic is it's, it's usually got a high amount of recycled content in it. That's why it's black, because you've got all these mixes of other plastic streams gone in. And the only thing you can do is dye it to make it look appealing. Um, although some brands, of course, have used black plastic over the years to give you this, 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 um, this. Uh, this feeling of quality because the, it makes the you know the produce stand out you know nice you know a bit of a steak perhaps for those that aren't yeah when needed. it's on the um,
0: plate and it looks all nice and <laughs> does, it it
1: does it does add to the uh, add to the ambiance of the of the product doesn't it but but ultimately I think black plastic it, it it's been an issue over the years for our, our facilities because it would end up in the plastic stream and we tend to sort plastics using near infrared sorting. Which, of course, is a beam of light and refraction, and, and therefore one polymer type is different from another. The computer recognizes that and it bounces air jets in different directions. So your HDPE and your PET go in different directions. It's, it's a simple. So I mean, they get you know, anybody. Different, different,
0: different lines and scoot off. And it on it the
1: Absolutely. And anybody that's ever had a chance to go around a recycling site will always be like, you know, I'm like, this is a gas am like, this is amazing. And it, actually, it's really simple physics. Anybody with a GCSE in science would have seen something like this in an that's experiment with a prism. <laughs> but, um, but, but the problem with the black plastic in this case is A, the near infrared struggles with black because it absorbs the light rather than refracting the light. And secondly, it tends to be the same color as the conveyor belt. So again from a, from a sorting perspective it's harder to pick it it's harder to see it whether it's you know physically see it or or, or computerized uh, vision and so ultimately the the sectors as a whole you know both the, the, the brands and and, and and the manufacturers now have started to look at just making black off black and you may have noticed this in some of your supermarkets of choice where it might just look a bit dark grey and ultimately yeah. dark grey is much easier to handle than black. So a lot of the brands have phased out black over the last 12 months. And, and actually, that's been a really sensible, simple step that they could take to make recycling easier for the public without me having to invest heavily in infra- in, in you know, new innovation at my sites that could then see black. Because the cost of implementing additional you know robotic eyes and infrared s- sorting would have been, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds per site, when actually the amount of black plastic we're handling is quite small compared to the other plastic streams.
0: Yeah, I've certainly noticed meat trays and things are clear now. So, yeah, that, that explains what's going and, on. And
1: there. I don't think that's it's not stopped the public from buying meat, has it?
0: Certainly not. Not in our <laughs> house anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Right. So that's black plastics. Answer. So thanks for that, Adam. Okay, while we've been at home, a lot of us are obviously doing lots of online shopping, which is great, but it does mean that we're getting loads and loads of extra packaging. Obviously the cardboard boxes are flattened and recycled, but what about the bubble wrap? Once we've sort of used it for venting with frustration or maybe on a rainy day distraction, what else can we do with it? Can we put it in for, for recycling?
1: No, I'd rather you didn't. It has the same kind of properties of getting wrapped around other things, cause that's what it's designed for. Um, and, and to be honest, it, it just doesn't suit the kind of infrastructure we've got. The kind of equipment, that the way it operates, bubble wrap, it's kind of flat. So it, it behaves a bit like paper, but it clearly isn't paper. Um, it, it tends to stick to things. So, yeah, no, I'd, I'd rather it was kept out and you found alternative purposes for it. Or speak to the, uh, speak to the company in question. We, we know who they are, and make sure they're sending you uh, alternative packaging types. And I've certainly seen, you know, online retailers of, of, of certain brands who have now been sending shredded paper or cob or a thin cardboard that kind of you scrunch up.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll, I'll take that in the recycling collection any day.
0: Okay, so if we get that, we can put that in instead. That's good to yep. know. Okay, how about your crisp packets, toothpaste tubes, batteries? We see them being collected in shops and schools. So why can't we put them in the
1: bin? If only it was that simple. Um, So they they can't go in the bin because A, the system wasn't designed with them in mind. So, you know, when you build a recycling center, when you build the trucks to collect, you're building with a a known composition, a known mix of materials, things that you know have an end market and therefore there's value that pulls the material through, things that you know you can handle given the technology that's available at the time of, of build and those kind of materials just don't fit nicely so a crisp packet well is it plastic is it aluminium where where should it go in the system it's a composite and, and and actually it's a composite that has grease and salt that weigh just as much as the packaging does so in it, when it comes into my system it's likely to produce residue that goes onto other materials that maybe we don't want, we come back to contamination. But or equally, where does it go in the system? Do I want it in my paper load? No. Do I want it in my aluminium load? Well, even they're not keen on it at the moment. And at the moment, I'd have to decontaminate it. I'd have to do something to it, clean it and wash it, which is why you don't want it in the household stream in a traditional sense. But these capture systems, the terror Cycles of this world, for example, doing these, these take-back schemes, they're tending to be paid for or sponsored by the companies in question. So the toothpaste has a couple of big brands behind it, uh, Chris packets, similarly. And, and what they're doing is they're recognising that their materials are hard to handle in the traditional system, but they want their materials to be going round the loop, even if it's not an end market that's traditional recycling, i.e. bottle to bottle. These materials may end up going into furniture. or uh, or into the material that you find on the bottom of outdoor playgrounds, for example. So they're giving them a second life, but they're not easily looped into a traditional recycling where it goes round and round bottle to bottle, several, eight, nine, 10 times uh, or whatever. So the company is getting some of their material captured, albeit you've got to make the effort to go to that site or that that business is, is supporting it. And some of that material will go around a loop at least once more, and, and that's how the tariff cycle and you know and other models work. It, it's a start. And I think what it's doing is giving those companies an opportunity to understand the real costs of a system like that. And some of those companies, you know, you look at, you know, Chris packets and others. We, we've done work this year looking at how you bring flexible packaging into the traditional recycling scheme. and and. In the future, I would expect most households to have some of those materials collected from their door, but it won't be today and it won't be tomorrow 2024 2025 when all of the big policy reforms that government have been talking about in recent weeks come to fruition, we think there'd be capacity on the vehicles, we think our, our recycling centers will have capacity because some of the material would have gone to other systems. We, we think we'll be able to handle some of that but again you've got to make sure that there's an end market that really wants it because we don't want to keep building park benches do we
0: <laughs> well it's quite nice to, you know while we're out in about, battle about the end place we can go at the moment but <laughs> but no that that makes sense and it's good to know that um these schemes may help develop stuff in the future and bring it down the line because obviously bottles at one point would have been an alien concept to be recycled so we have to start somewhere don't we so i think that's great i think i think you're right i think i think there's an
1: evolution to everything we do and you know and i think sometimes people think you you, you should have all the answers on day one and i and, and I, I wish it was oh, Why simple.
0: haven't you, Adam?
1: <laughs> well, well partly because it's a complicated system and, and you know <laughs> as my 590 shows you've got consumers who do one thing and retailers and brands who do one thing and then you've got us in the middle but you've got local authority setting the local rules you've got government changing the policy structure and then you've, you need end markets that want the material to want to put it back around the system one thing changing doesn't always mean the entire system moves and what you need is the entire system move if we're going to capture all the toothpaste tubes and, and all the crisp packets in the uk tomorrow because you know there's a lot of lot of crisp packets that goes into a ton of material and if you haven't got a ton of material who, who's going to want it you know the end market doesn't want you know a couple of hundred kilos of stuff they want bulk so they can guarantee that their processing systems work it's it's complicated but you know we've made a lot of progress in the last 20 years on what we can and can't recycle
0: So, messaging to people who say to us why can't we is just keep doing what we can do do what we can do right and yes it'll all improve
1: so we're on the journey
0: great so i've got this is a bit of a strange one that came in the other day um people say to us well what's the point of recycling because it's it's not being kept in the UK it's going abroad and I was specifically asked about Uganda so I don't know if you know anything about that Um, but can you reassure us that I mean as we've said before you know we did say about material earlier does need to stay in the UK but can you explain why some mater- some UK material might be ending up in foreign countries? So, so
1: there's probably about 50% of our plastics are getting exported for, at, at a UK level for, for re, re, reprocessing. Now, and, and interestingly, Suez is, is, is sending almost no plastic overseas at the moment and haven't been for for a couple of years, partly because we were concerned about global market fluctuations, but, but also because, you know, dealing with these things close to home makes sense where you can. But... We have a capacity issue in the uk and that is more people are recycling more bottles and more paper plastics than generally that, than we can handle and that's because over time recycling has become more normal more people want to do it more businesses are now getting involved which in the early days of recycling very few businesses did any so there's there's more streams of this material becoming available and plastics have become more prevalent in the last 20 years than other material streams things like paper uh, and card and glass have, have lost market share. So we've got a plastic imbalance. We don't produce a lot of plastic bottles in the UK, but we consume an awful lot of plastic containers. So where are they coming from? Well, they're coming from Southeast Asia, they're coming from Eastern Europe, they're coming from other parts of the world. Um, and they have a demand for the polymer to go back into the closed loop recycling system. So they want the recycled content and they can't be satisfied purely by their local consumers because they're exporting lots of products so they export as much as they use locally and therefore if you don't give them back some their system stops to work stops working doesn't it because they haven't got enough feedstock yeah, so be. ultimately polymers plastics are a global commodity just as paper is just as other fibers uh, and, and aluminium and steel are no different the global commodities and are traded and such and so i i, I I think the sentiment that bringing material back into the UK and keeping it here is good. And we're gonna need the government to incentivize that. And I think they will do in the, in the next few years because that will create jobs, it will create certainty. Um, and I think it will create confidence in, in consumers in particular that things will be done properly. But I would argue that you know the last 10, 10 years and the next five years where, we, where international markets have been used, 99% of the time, that material is being recycled. going to proper infrastructure in proper locations with proper regulations and proper auditing to ensure that it's recycled because none of us want our brand our logo our business to be hauled up on on national tv because we're on a beach in malaysia we've been found in a river in in indonesia it's not good business so so we we spend a lot of time as an industry checking those end markets and checking where we're where sending material to. And, and, and some of us have been investing heavily in, in infrastructure that's now operating in the likes of Indonesia, and Vietnam and Malaysia, where they're operating to standards that we would, we would say are very Western. You know, They're, they're kind of well-regulated, well-policed um, and in good condition. And, and, and so we are comfortable that this, the loop is working. It's just not a local loop. Um, the Uganda situation... I can't comment explicitly, it's certainly not any of the material that I'm I'm conscious of, but there there are the system isn't perfect. It's not controlled by by three companies. There are lots of intermediaries that are handling bits of material on behalf of parts of the system. So, you know, the 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 answer to the Uganda situation is we need to make sure that all of the bits of that system are operating to a minimal standard that is great and let's raise the bar and that way any exports that happen are going to the right place for the right reasons and the loop is being closed and we can continue therefore to buy you know recycled content products and packaging in the comfort of knowing it's been recycled at the right price at the right time and you know the last thing we want is to say we're only going to have UK reprocessing of plastics and the cost of our plastic bottles suddenly goes up significantly because the cost of land The cost of labor and the cost of energy in the UK is significantly more than other places in the world where maybe the recycling system is just as effective. And so I think, you know, it's not a simple black or white, but for the next five to 10 years, we will be exporting material because we just haven't got enough infrastructure. I suppose the question I would ask the, the consumer is, are you really worried about where your stuff is recycled or would you rather that your packaging was still cheap and recycled?
0: And I suppose it's also we buy stuff that we know comes from abroad, so it makes sense that the packaging that comes with it. that makes sense. No, thanks, Adam. Um, We talked about the clear trays earlier. And one question that I got asked was things like your Easter eggs and your Christmas selection boxes. Obviously, Christmas, we noticed that the packaging of the sweet trays had turned clear and lots of people are doing lots of work with the Easter eggs at the moment. But I don't know about other people, but I know when my kids have had their chocolates, the tray goes back in the cardboard, back in the box, back in, and then they put it in the recycling because it's plastic and cardboard, mum, so it could be recycled. I've been told, don't put them all together, separate them. What happens if we put them all together, Adam?
1: Well, that's a good question. You, you, you kind of, I'm hiding. I'm hiding the plastic. They won't see it, <laughs> um, and 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 that's the point. We won't see it. There's a good chance that the the the, the box, the cardboard, will go in the back of the lorry. It will get squashed against something else, and therefore nothing can come out of it because it's been squashed. It gets on my conveyor belt, and what do we see? It's cardboard. Bang, cardboard. And we've picked it off, and it's gone in the cardboard system. And now the machine is dealing with cardboard. Um, and in, at some point later on, and it might be, you know, after it's left our site in a big bale of super quality cardboard that you now realize that 10% of that content it's is the plastic sweet. layers that none of us could see. Um, because none of my staff have x-ray vision and the belt isn't going slow enough for us to physically open every single one of them, particularly post Christmas, when the tonnage we handle is 15 to 20% more than at any other time of the year you really you know you've got to make it a bit easier so definitely sort those two separately put them in and let the machines do what they're designed for let let my system work properly
0: so obviously we're talking we were talking about that specific example but in general you'd rather us keep it clean dry loose keep yes. it all separate chuck it all
1: good up. messaging clean clean oh. dry loose
0: yeah we like that one <laughs> I, like <laughs> I just wanted to check yeah. that it was working <laughs> um definitely okay so i'm just checking whether i've got any more questions that we've had put to us i think we've almost one that i'd like to ask you and that is what is the strangest thing that you've ever found on that's been put in as recycling i've heard of a few things um and i did a talk (laughs) with a few people a while ago and got some interesting answers so i like to just throw that one in to find out what's your weirdest uh... item
1: uh, I, I could probably i could probably write a book on this one um so 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 there's there's the i wish it could be recycled category yeah. you know and and anything goes in that category you know there are, there are people that are dropping anything that you could possibly name in a bin and hope that well isn't it isn't it plastic i thought it was plastic so i won't bore you with that category because you could have yeah. you could have a field day okay here's the two um it's not not specific to plastics but when when we do green waste collections, yep. garden waste, um, I've had a green chair, a green rug, <laughs> and 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 green kitchen utensils, obviously, <laughs> because you know gr- obviously <laughs> green 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 is green, isn't it? So I'm, I'm 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 not sure what the local messaging was around green, but it, green means green waste, garden waste, not just anything that's green. But if you want to know the, the, I mean, I've had a diamond ring, oh wow, <laughs> um, a very expensive one, and and I had and I had um. I think there was a there was a lottery winning ticket in one of our Murphs that that we got a ring about a phone call. Stop! Can you find <laughs> it? And um and I and I believe there was quite a quite a wad of cash that uh-huh. was in the bottom of a of um an elderly lady's um biscuit tin because that's where she keeps her cash um and when they were doing a house clearance after she died unfortunately it had been cleaned out and then one of the one of the daughters had, had remembered that where she kept her cash and there was another phone call to um yeah, to, it's, to go it's, rescue it.
0: the diamond ring was quite recently wasn't it the, it was
1: it's up in the northeast and it, yeah, it, made, it made the news, the news. and and, yeah. and we did repatriate it to the customer but if you amazing. want to it, it, it was amazing. You're absolutely right, and I think, I mean, the staff were brilliant, and and you know the effort that goes in because let's be honest, there's a lot of material flying around at yeah. a lot of speed. So we had to pick that out was incredible. But my my personal favourite, and the one that I saw first hand, was a was a 15 foot boa constrictor, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: that it was dead.
1: Or... I mean, it, it was dead, so fair fair enough. I mean, they weren't expecting me to handle the, the thing living because that would have been a really interesting, but I'm not sure what definition of recyclable. I mean, they, they no. obviously didn't have enough space in their usual bin, but... No, I know imagine... they normally shed their skins, but... <laughs> well, you, can you imagine you pick off a couple of layers of cardboard sitting on the conveyor belt and you, you're face to face with a 15 foot python? I'm just... <laughs> the, the, the pickers on that day weren't weren't too happy with us to be honest no. with, but, hey, um yeah you'd be amazed at what comes through our sites but thankfully you know 90% of people doing 90% of the right thing so it's these are these are not although they're although they're common they're not all the time and no, that's, that's the good. important thing most yeah. people get it right yeah
0: no and obviously we don't recommend putting snakes or your diamond ring or tins of no. money into your recycling <laughs> or or
1: any other animal for that matter thank you
0: okay thanks so so much adam for joining us and helping us clear up some of that it's only now fair to let you ask a question if there was one thing that you could ask people to do or not do what would you ask them to do
1: um i I would i would ask them how often they actually look at the labels um and, and does it ever give them confidence and comfort that they now know what to do Um, And I'm sure the answer would be what labels and if I do now I'm just more confused because they all look like they're recycling when we know that many of those labels don't really mean recycling at all, certainly not in the UK. So that's that's one I've I've been challenging. My interesting, I'm on the green committee in my local village, and um, I've just written a piece for the local magazine on um, on um, demystifying the label. And uh, some some of the feedback I've had from my neighbours, apart from the fact that that they now think I'm a bit of a lunatic, um, (laughs) is because I look at labels and I'm like no no, my day job's looking after recycling I'm I'm not sitting looking (laughs) at labels for a living I'm not that bad but they're like oh wow all these labels and they all mean nothing I mean this is crazy (laughs) Um, so I I think I would ask them that and then and then if I had another opportunity I would I would ask them if they'd like to come and visit
0: that would be because really
1: nice. in, in all my years of, of a working local government and doing site visits for schools and then, you know, working, working as a consultant, taking, you know, local authorities round sites to see what they could have in the future. And now with my, my you know, my time at Suez where I take brands round to say Do you, that's why your material is not recyclable. Cause look where it ends up. Um, I think it's that eyes wide open. It's the, it's the light bulb moment when people go, Oh, I get it. And then well, you've suddenly I've got
0: queued us up brilliantly there because I can now do a quick little plug because we are at Pledge to Recycle Plastics looking at doing some little video clips to show people what happens and also doing some work on the labels. So that's all coming in the next sort of few months. So right, brilliant. It sounds
1: like we're 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 it all joined up like on the I big issues.
0: For it. <laughs> That's great. Thank you ever so much for your time, Adam. I really appreciate your help.
1: My pleasure and good luck, everybody. Recycle well and recycle right.
0: Thanks, Adam. Bye. Take care. Bye
1: bye. Hey. Is that <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, thanks. For those, that.
1: those questions get tough. <laughs> Sorry, I try to keep that's
0: them That's right. No. you bounce some back, all right. <laughs>
1: good good, good band, sir. That's what makes a podcast, isn't it? It's the band. Yeah, well, that's we'll what like the
0: first one I did felt a little bit radio Four. I'm trying to get them a little bit more. But it's as you do, I mean you get more chit chatty. Well, you, you get more used to. I mean, I, I chair a lot of webinars, so
1: I'm yeah. I'm used to this kind of style, but I've done some podcasts with CIWM and Claire, the um, membership Claire Paul is chairing them, but you've got mm. you know you've got the um the panel is effectively the presidential team, so past president, current president, incoming president, uh, et etc. Oh. And um it's interesting because She's not a natural interviewer. She, she would rather read a script and make sure she gets the technical question right. Yeah. And then you've got, you've got a lawyer on the panel who oh, won't answer anything because, you know, yeah. she knows it's going to come back to haunt her. And then you've got somebody like me that, 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 that assumes <laughs> that I'm sitting in my lounge with a, with, with a glass of something just chatting to, to, to you know, my mates because yeah. that's what a podcast is meant to be. It's meant to be informal, I think. It's meant to be easy to engage with.
0: Yeah, Makes I mean, very
1: interesting listening,
0: though. yeah, that's where um, it's it's because this is well out of my comfort zone. I've never done anything like this and um, but I said to Stuart, I'm actually enjoying doing the ask. I don't like it when I'm on the spot and I've got to think of the responses yeah. and yeah. I'll just go. But I said, I don't mind doing the sort of chat to people and ask the questions because it's pressure off then but I'm still at the stage where I'm, I need to prepare. I I haven't got it there.
1: Don't don't, don't get me wrong. When I chair I mean, I chaired two webinars yesterday and for both of them, I've got some form of structure. Yeah. One or two questions that I I know I need to have written down because I forget the damn things. Yeah. And then you, then you just react to the situation. So the fact that you had that guide was great, but I went off piece very quickly. But that didn't stop you because you then came straight back with a question from halfway down the list because it was the right question to ask. So, yeah, your guide is perfect because you've you've got what you need, but you're not rigid. and that's no, it.
0: And because Anne said, "Oh well, what answers is Dad going to give?" I said, "I don't know. He'll come back when he talks." And I said I haven't planned any.
1: I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you didn't ask me to prepare the answers first because that would have been really boring, wouldn't it?
0: Oh God, yeah. And I said that. No. I said when I did it with Chris and Kinzo, I gave them, you know. This is what I think. Yours was probably more script, more my notes than I normally yeah. would have given, purely because I was running out of time. So I just did the same document for both. Um, awesome. But yes, yeah, so it was a little bit. But each one I'm doing, I'm kind of learning different ways of doing stuff. And no, and I think because I, I enjoy the topic as well, so it's quite, well, it and I'm learning. It easier,
1: yeah, it makes it easier when 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 you when you've got an affinity for it and you want to learn about it, you don't mm-hmm. mind talking to people that you might not normally talk to, right.
0: because and they're I, going
1: to give you an insight.
0: Exactly, and I love doing the being able to do it from the consumer's point of view because obviously working in comms can normally answer yes. the first question, have to refer for the technical.
1: <laughs> yes, over there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cool. Right. Right. I'll leave you go. I love-
1: I'll leave you be. I've got a, an, a, another meeting. God, dear, I love oh, a pleasure. Friday afternoon.
0: <laughs> All right, you take care. Have
1: a good weekend. I'll see you yeah, later. Thanks, Adam. See you later. Let, let, me, know, let me know when you're going to go live with it and I'll you know, our social media.
0: Yeah, probably week, 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 maybe two. Yeah, no problems. Well, let, just got let me right.
1: know and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll push it around from our end as well.
0: Your staff. Thanks so, so much. Cheers. Bye. Bye. All right. <laughs> Is that recording? Yes. Okay. All right, where's my Word document gone? So i just like to have me questions in front of me so I can pretend that I'm talking. Right, the Paxman style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he has it stuck on your T-shirt, doesn't he? <laughs> have you seen that on the... um Is that, that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, right. You'd
1: have to be standing a lot closer for me to be able to do that. I, my eyes are just getting worse. <laughs>
0: working at I, home. When they said that, I was thinking, God, how did they manage that? Because if they're moving around, there's no way I'd have been able to read anything. It was... No. Right. All right. OK. Sensible heads on now. <laughs> OK, so today we're joined by Adam Reed. Adam, can you tell us a little about who you are, where you work and what your background is?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, Dr. Adam Reed. I'm the External Affairs Director at Suez Recycling and Recovery UK Limited. Uh, what does that mean? It means I spend a lot of time talking with government, looking at policy reform, um, I wouldn't say lobbying, but I think, you know, we're encouraging them, we're helping them, we're providing them with data so they can see what policy works, what policy doesn't, how you might change uh, material streams if you intervene with one kind of policy or another. Um, and then I've got an internal role where I'm bringing some of the policy changes back to the, um, back to the machine, if you like, and we start talking about, well, how do we change our infrastructure? How do we change the services that we offer so that we're maximizing the value in the material and ensuring we deliver sustainable waste management wherever possible so a bit internal and a bit external. My background well a bit of everything really. Um, I'm ex-local government but only for two years where I kind of did my apprenticeship. um, Decided to go and do a PhD exploring all the pain that I'd suffered as a local authority officer with recycling. I was recycling in Kensington and Chelsea and recycling rates were (laughs) hovering at about 12% 12 in the um, mid-90s and I spent a beautiful part of the world, but but had some real challenges, high rise housing, lots of multiple occupancy, twice a week rubbish collection. So we were making it really easy for the public to, to you know, to, 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 to not have to recycle. And I think I learned a lot from interacting with other London boroughs who were doing different things. I learned a lot from, you know, being part of the first recycling centre in, in London, the, the Murph at Cremorne Wharf, where we did sorting and segregation. And uh, I learned a lot about sort of the consumer engagement agenda because why aren't you using these beautiful services that we've got on offer and why aren't you taking advantage of of some of the great innovation that we were providing? So having having learned a lot in two years, I decided to do a PhD understanding policy reform and what worked and what didn't and where was the UK going and what was likely to be a great intervention as we entered sort of the noughties. Um and um the PhD took a little longer than was planned because I set up a research unit and ended up becoming a consultant within academia because answering Industry questions paid better and um, uh, and was more immediate. You could turn around answers in three months and, and not wait for the third year of your PhD. That that ultimately led to me becoming a, a fully fledged consultant. I went to ERM, I went to um, I went to Hyder that became Arcadis and ended up Ric- Ricardo, which was AEA Technology at the time. And 15 years of consultancy, I I, I got a bit fed up answering everybody else's problem and travelling the world trying to help. Get the right recycling system in the right place and the right communication to support it. And uh, it was a knock on the door one day from Suez saying, "We got a great opportunity. We'd love for you to come and get involved in helping UK PLC, UK government, get recycling in the right place." And uh, we, you know, and, and 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 I've been enjoying my 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 tenure ever since. So almost four years in. And I and when I'm not talking to government or talking to my colleagues, I'm talking to um, brands, retailers. Um, designers who are all knocking on the door now going we've heard about this policy reform we don't get it but it's going to impact on my plastic bottle plastic lid it's going to impact on you know my waxy carton what do you think and, and so I spend quite a bit of time with my colleagues talking about material change designer packaging and how it works with the system that for for 20 years they've not really had to understand which is what happens after the consumer puts it in a bin not always the right bin there you go
0: so i think that certainly qualifies you as an expert for our questions today then (laughs) thank you (laughs) okay so um most people obviously you've just touched on the differences and different systems etc and most people obviously have recycling bags or bins of various colors and sizes okay so we tend to have our recycling bin, our general waste bin, and we hear a lot about contamination, but can you just give us an overview of what contamination is in a nutshell?
1: Yeah, yeah I'm going I'm to start with a, with a slightly bigger picture, and, and it's going to sound a bit like some kind of crazy theory, but it's the 590s rule. And I think it's really important that we understand how the system works before we actually try to, to understand contamination. So the 590s rule is for every piece of packaging put on the market, of people could recycle it, 90% accurately, i.e. the right materials that are being asked of by the local scheme, 90% of the time, because there's gonna be the odd occasion where they're in a hurry or they're away or whatever. So that's 390s, which means by the time I handle it in a collection vehicle and I'm taking it to a reprocessing or a recycling center, I've already lost 10% of 10% of 10%. By the time I get it into my facility, know the best you can hope for is probably 90% efficiency on that production line because there's going to be a few things in there that shouldn't be in there we'll come back to those and there's going to be you know there's going to be an inefficiency simply because of the speed of the system or the depth of the material on the picking belt so ultimately 90% is a pretty good figure for the efficiency of a recycling site and then we pass that material once it's been sorted onto a reprocessing or a refining site where the final bit of plastic sorting is done or the paper goes in one direction and the, uh, and the card in another. And, and, and often that's about 90% efficient as well because there's going to be glues and things that are stuck together and the odd wrapper. So if you think about it, there's 590s of efficiency, 590%, which means for the 100% of material on the market on day one, we will recycle 59% of it a week later. Now, that doesn't get us anywhere near to where government targets want us to be, which are at 70% and beyond. So for us to maximize recycling in this country for any material stream, but in this case, plastic, we need to make sure that more than 90% of the people are doing it, more than 90% of the time, and most importantly for this podcast, better than 90% accuracy. And so that leads us on to your question, which is contamination. So I like to think of contamination in, in, a, in a number of different ways. There's... There's material in the wrong container. So let's say we've got a mixed recycling container at your house and we're asking for plastic bottles and we're asking for um, milk bottles or, um, or drinking bottles, either one. And yet somebody's put a black tub, a black tray, a yogurt pot, a plastic film. If the service that is on offer hasn't specified those materials, the pots, the tubs, the trays, the films would be considered a contamination. They're just the wrong material for that service. And that might be because the facility that we're taking it to can't handle it, or it might be that we haven't got the end markets ready, so there's no, there's no value in that in that particular material stream. Or it might just simply be that they end up in the wrong place at the wrong time later on in the system and therefore undermine the value of other materials. My second type of contamination is something like um, the material that might come off of a a lasagna tray and in the bottom of the lasagna, we haven't quite got all of the lasagna out, have we? Some of it's got baked in in the microwave because we're all very busy, aren't we? So, you know, you haven't quite scrubbed it properly. You've stuck it in the recycling bin. And ultimately, some of that material is going to end up in in my collection system. Now, two issues arise from that. One does any of that material get on the other materials that we're capturing? For example, some of that moisture, some of that some of that leftover food could end up on the paper that's in your bin. That makes the paper less recyclable. It changes the properties of the paper. You get paper shape for want of a better phrase. And therefore, your impact is not on the plastic chain necessarily, but it's on the other materials being collected at the same time. And actually, paper is such a prevalent material stream in the recycling bin of most households and has a decent value on the whole, the last thing you want to do is undermine the paper system by leaving some some leftover residue on your on your plastics. But there's a second issue associated with the leftovers on the plastics. And um, if you think about a, a plastic bottle, let's say a, a fizzy pot bottle, your brand of choice, of course, It the way it's handled in a recycling facility will be based on essentially physical properties it's based on weight it's based on shape Uh, sometimes it's based on uh, light refraction purposes near infrared um, sorting technology but the one thing that you can't change about a bottle in a recycling facility is when you sort by the paper which tends to be flat from bottles and cans that tend to be 3D they will roll back down the sorting system and the paper will roll up over the sorting system and quickly you could do a 2D versus 3D sort and that way you remove a lot of the cardboard and paper from the other material. Now if you make your plastic bottle heavier you change the way that it behaves. Now ultimately in that system it would still roll down Um, but you've got to be conscious that a system has been designed with a particular flow of material in mind based on what we understand of composition in your bin. If you start to change the parameters of any of those materials because they've got things left in them or because they've got wet in your bin, then suddenly material that might have been separated quite simply now is getting stuck together. And um, one of my biggest bugbears, uh, and, and that of the operatives that run our, our recycling centers tends to be plastic film and carrier bags because our sites, many of which are, you know, 10 years old, but still very efficient, just can't cope with things that wrap themselves around moving pieces of equipment. And plastic films and plastic bags, if we can't separate them by hand as they come in to the conveyor belt system, they tend to have a, uh, an ability, uh, you know, an innate ability to wrap themselves around either some of our, our trummels, some of the sorting equipment, which means they have to stop and be cleaned, or they wrap themselves around other containers and try sorting an aluminium can that's now got a plastic wrap layer on it, and you'll realise that we don't know what it is and the machine doesn't know what it is and you're ending up with a contamination that now feeds through the system, which means you may end up with the wrong material in the wrong material bay at the end. So what we thought was a high quality grade of paper has suddenly got a load of other stuff in it because the system couldn't cope with the stuff being different from how we expect it to arrive.
0: So I guess that would be similar with the textiles as well. When people say to us about putting the odd tea towel or the odd T-shirt in, I assume that's why that wouldn't be as well.
1: Textiles are absolutely the same. And, and, and don't get me wrong. We want to recycle all of these materials and, and we've got the capability of doing so. But if you're capturing them in a mixed nature, if your bin is commingled, to use a terrible industry phrase, but if it's a mixed recycling bin or box, the chances are it's going to stay mixed in the lorry by the time we get it, it's partially compacted. It's had an opportunity over two or three hours to wrap itself around each other. We don't get something that looks terribly clean, even if you, you know, my mum, who's a great example of recycling, <laughs> has kept everything clean. But everybody else that lives in her street is doing their own variation on it. By the time I get my mum's recyclables, it doesn't look like my mum's recyclables. It looks like a version of. Um, and, and our job is to then try and do the best with what we get. So, yeah, being careful about not putting the unwanted items in the wrong place is a key part of contamination management
0: so you mentioned the um, melted on lasagna within there as well if it's been baked on and you've scraped and scrubbed and you can't get it off and it's just coated on is that okay to put in or not
1: yeah, because it's not if, if it's baked on and, it, and it's hard, the chances are it's not going to contaminate the other the other streams. So the, the leakage impact is is minimised, and therefore your bin's not going to end up all covered in lasagna. I don't, for, The last thing you want to do is put, you know, your lasagna straight in the bin after it's come out of the oven and you've eaten it, because then there's going to be all sorts of stuff sliming about over the course of the next yeah. five hours. No, sometimes um, so, you, you sort
0: of just can't get that last crispy bit off. No, that, that
1: crispy. So, totally. And to be honest, a little bit of crispy around the edge is not going to change the, 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 the overall properties significantly on, on one lasagna tray to the next. Oh, that's so, a... no, I, I wouldn't worry about scrubbing it till, it, till it's, you know, spotless. That, that's probably <laughs> too much effort.
0: That's good to know. So I shall let uh, family and friends know because we get asked that one quite a lot.
1: I, I can okay. imagine.
0: So, okay, so we've sent all our recycling, we've sorted our recycling properly, we've got it in the right boxes, we've sent it to you, but we then get asked, well, what does it matter, because it all goes in the same lorries, and then you just take it away and either landfill it or burn it. We know from Chris and um, Kinzer in previous episodes that they really do want the material, and they've said to us that they do, but can you just reassure us that we're not being conned, and it is being recycled
1: of course i can this is this is a this is a question that's probably as old as i am in terms of recycling when, when i was a local authority officer we used to split back vehicle and one side for as mixed recycling and the other side was for the rubbish the residual the black bag the box and um and i think the most common complaint that was raised with the council when i was there was you just put it in the back of the lorry and my answer to that was yes, we are just putting it in the back of the lorry, but it's going in the left, which is recycling, not the right. And they went, there's two compartments on the back of a lorry. So I think, you know, from, from, a, from an industry perspective, yes, we've moved on a bit, but the, the, the bottom line remains the same, which is stuff that you recycle, the stuff that, you know, residents want to put out, if it's the right material that we're targeting, we will put it in the right part of whatever vehicle we're using, and we will make sure that vehicle gets to the right site. We are not taking rubbish trucks to our recycling centres and nor are we taking recycling loads to our energy from waste or incinerators. There, there is no point. A, we're, we're legally responsible for that material. We, we've signed up to recycling it, why wouldn't we? Two, good quality recycling has value. We want to do our bit working with our local authority partners to ensure that that value is retained in the system, is helping support the other services um, and C, you know, wh- we, we are green. I mean, you know, we are a green industry. Surprisingly, people that work at Suez and our competitors honestly believe in, in effective sustainable waste management. We are resource managers. None of us would be tipping stuff in a, in, into, a, into a burner unless it was A, heavily contaminated, in which case we can't recycle it. But you'd only know that after it's been into the recycling plant and we've had a good, a good look at it on the floor. Or B, it just hasn't got an end market and it's, it's therefore residual waste, in which case energy recovery is providing something more beneficial than simply landfilling. And, you know, that would be the case for, you know, certain plastics at the moment or, or nappies. But that, that, that material stream is shrinking all the time in terms of what is destined to be to be disposed of.
0: So you just mentioned nappies there. So I'm going to pounce on that one. Nappies, recyclable or not recyclable?
1: Uh, depend, depends on where you are, I, um, I, I, there's never a straightforward answer to the nappy, is there? Um, generally, most authorities won't collect nappies. It won't be part of your recycling scheme because of what's in them and the risk that that then plays on the rest of the system. You know, there's nothing worse. And I've got to be honest, I was at our MRF, uh, our recycling site, materials recycling facility, MRF, um, as opposed to Smurf, uh, little <laughs> blue thing. Um, and just before lockdown started, and um, there's nothing worse when a, a recycling load comes in, it's tipped on the floor, and it's about to be shoveled onto the conveyor belt for the first stage, and all of a sudden somebody hits the emergency stop button, and you're like, what's going on? And immediately you've had a quick look, and 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 there's half a dozen nappies, soiled nappies, on your conveyor belt because the first thing you do is everybody's out, it's shower time, it's you know, it's 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 proper you know cleansing mode, and all of that load that's just been put on the belt that's all got to be disposed of now because you've contaminated the other plastic bottles, you've contaminated the, the, the paper, the fiber. So nappies, particularly soiled nappies, that's a residual waste stream for now, but there are recycling schemes in Europe and we've, we've certainly looked at some of the technologies being deployed and whether or not they would be applicable in the UK. And, and I would expect nappies to become far more part of the norm in terms of recycling over the next few years, as we look at a system where you can capture them separately and not have them as part of the mix so and if for that's now, the them
0: out of the recycling bins
1: for now i would steer clear that you know they're, they're not ideal and let's be honest if you were going to instigate some kind of recycling collection system it's more likely to be from um, early learning centers and play groups than it is from households because that's where kids are for quite a you know for that period of their you know their their growth when they're, they're active and they're using a lot of nappies. So again, if we were to put a system in place in the future, it may not be something that looks like a traditional collection system, but it would be more specific to that material stream.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So it's not in your bins at the moment, but potentially in the future. Brilliant. Got it. Lovely. Okay. So can we tackle a few of the items that we know cause some confusion? So we've obviously spoken about HDPE, the milk bottles and the PET, the drinks bottles. But um, for example, the ones from the bathroom, such as shampoo, conditioner, cleaners, we tend to say, yes, put them in as bottles, but are you happy with that? Do we need to be careful? On
1: on, on the whole, it's a yes, because, you know, a shampoo bottle, the material stream is handleable. You know, we've got different types of uh, polymer or plastic grade that we can deal with in terms of end market. So I'm not worried about those types of container, um, but ideally we don't want a lot of shampoo left in the bottom or, or such like, because again, it's the liquid that could leak, that can have impacts elsewhere in the system. The ones we're a bit less supportive of would be bleach and cleaning agents, simply because if you leave their residue in there and that ends up getting crushed in the back of a lorry by the time it spurts out into the system the last thing you want is somebody getting a face load of you know bleach even if it's a little bit so again i think there's you know sometimes we forget about the health and safety of people working in our in our in our system you know covid has 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 shown that you can continue with waste management at the front line under difficult circumstances but what we don't want to do is just add increasing risk by having you know, bleach or other con- uh, other yeah. other types of cleaning agent that could, you know, get in, get in the eye or get in the hand and, and then you've got a real, yeah, real so local issue. so
0: people actually work at the plants and they are physically having to handle the waste. A- ab-
1: absolutely. And something that gets crushed, you know, you suddenly make a hole in a bleach bottle, it leaks a lot more effectively with, with a hole in it than it does without. And I, and I think we won't not compact mixed recyclables because the cost would be too great to move you know what is effectively air a lot of the time so i think keeping them out would would probably be a sensible or at least having them rinsed
0: yeah so making sure we've got them as empty as we can to make it as safe as possible that makes sense okay so thank you for confirming with that one um think about labeling can you help us because we get very confused with having what's the difference between a meat tray and a food tray (laughs) is
1: uh, well ultimately the the difference is what's in the tray um as opposed to the tray itself um i i'm more interested in in what is the material that the tray is made of um and, and is it is it therefore going to go down one of my traditional handling routes so if it's um you know if it's a traditional tray there's a good chance it will be recyclable in most locations but again you have to look at what your council is saying to put in and out Um, always go back to what is the council saying because they're your interface just because I've got infrastructure that that might be able to cope with certain materials if the council's not allowing it then that means we don't want it Um, so so I think I don't worry about what it's containing think more about does it comply with what your council is asking you to put in your recycling bin? If the answer is yes, then we c- we have the technology and we have the processing capacity to be able to ensure that the polymers end up in the right system, whether it's HDPE, PET, PVC, the list goes on. Um, and, and over time, we'll be looking at more and more of those polymers more closely to ensure that we can segregate those effectively early um, because then the quality is retained.
0: So maybe if people are a little bit confused, talk to their local councils and... I, I think they should I, th-
1: I think the council website should always be your default i mean they every, every time i go out now i see you know which isn't often during covid but when, when you're out with the crews you know there's lots and lots of bins these days that have got stickers on them trying to simplify the what's in and what's out and and i always think if in doubt leave it out which you know isn't always seen as a positive message but i'd rather you erred on the cautious side and didn't give me stuff that you hoped could be recycled or had heard last night by somebody who clearly isn't an expert but you were having dinner with them that it's recyclable i mean ask the expert and the expert in this case will be the local authority because they're the ones that have let the contract they're the ones that have specified what they expect to be recycled or not so if they're saying no the answer is no if they're saying yes the answer is yes and if they're not saying well then you need to ask them to clarify because uncertainty is where we end up with contamination issues
0: now that makes sense Okay, so similar line, um, pots, tubs, trays, or pots and tubs. So your yogurt pot, face cream, margarine ice cream, those sort of things, as long as it's specified that the council can pick it up. Yeah. Any preference nope, nope. lids on, lids off? So
1: that's a very good question, for actually. Pots. I mean, most, authori- <laughs> most authorities will collect, will, will collect the bulk of those materials you just mentioned, but not all. So again, check, be exactly. careful. Yep. Um, we, we can handle them um they're not generally not an issue to us although the smaller the pots you know particularly you know the um uh, the ladies face creams that tend to be you know very dainty don't you know maybe the lip balms or another yeah. one you've got to be a little bit careful with those because they are so small that much of our equipment you know is dealing with big lumps of cardboard and large plastic bottles and, and suddenly you get these really small things they, they can drop through the system and end up in the in the residual or the waste pile, where they would probably end up going for energy recovery. So again, um, with the lid, it's small as well. So the one thing that you can do to guarantee that there's a chance that your lid will be recycled is to is to put it on the top of the bottles, um, yeah. because and, and and the same with the with, with with these kinds of tub and trays. You know, if it's got a lid, yeah, put it on, and then we'll deal with that at the relevant point at our plant or the next stage of the refining and reprocessing.
0: Great, so we can make sure we do that that's fine. Okay, black plastic again I think this is going to come down to local authorities, but does black plastic cause you a problem.
1: Black plastic is one of those great myths of waste management isn't it it's like everybody talks about it as the you know the worst thing ever. And it's not. I mean, the thing about black plastic is it's it's usually got a high amount of recycled content in it. That's why it's black, because you've got all these mixes of other plastic streams gone in. And the only thing you can do is dye it to make it look appealing. Um, Although some brands, of course, have used black plastic over the years to give you this, 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 this. this feeling of quality because the, it makes the you know the produce stand out you know nice you know a bit of steak perhaps for those that aren't yeah when needed. it's on the um,
0: plate and it looks all nice and does, it it
1: does it does add to the uh, add to the ambiance of the of the product doesn't it but but ultimately I think black plastic it, it it's been an issue over the years for our, our facilities because it would end up in the plastic stream and we tend to sort plastics using near infrared sorting. Which, of course, is a beam of light and refraction, and and therefore one polymer type is different from another. The computer recognizes that and it bounces air jets in different directions. So your HDPE and your PET go in different directions. It's it's a simple. I mean, you know, anybody.
0: Different lines and scoot off and.
1: Absolutely. And anybody that's ever had a chance to go around a recycling site will always be like, you know, aghast. I'm like, this is a aghast. This is amazing. And it, actually, it's really simple physics. Anybody with a GCSE in science would have seen something like this in an that's experiment funny. with a prism. <laughs> but, um, but, but the problem with the black plastic in this case is, A, the near infrared struggles with black because it absorbs the light rather than refracting the light. And secondly, it tends to be the same color as the conveyor belt. So, again, from a, from a sorting perspective, it's harder to pick it, it's harder to see it, whether it's, you know, physically see it or, or, or computerized uh, vision. And so, ultimately, the, the sectors as a whole, you know, both the, the, the brands and, 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 and the manufacturers now, have started to look at just making black off black. And you may have noticed this in some of your supermarkets of choice, where... It might just look a bit dark grey and ultimately yeah. dark grey is much easier to handle than black. So a lot of the brands have phased out black over the last 12 months. And, and actually, that's been a really sensible, simple step that they could take to make recycling easier for the public without me having to invest heavily in infra- in, in you know, new innovation at my sites that could then see black. Because the cost of implementing additional you know, robotic eyes and infrared s- sorting would have been, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds per site, when actually the amount of black plastic we're handling is quite small compared to the other plastic streams.
0: Yeah, I've certainly noticed meat trays and things have clear now. So, yeah, that, that explains what's going and on. And I there.
1: don't think that's, it's not stopped the public from buying meat, has it?
0: Certainly not. Not in our <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, right. so that's black plastic's answer. So thanks for that, Adam. Okay, while we've been at home, a lot of us are obviously doing lots of online shopping, which is great, but it does mean that we're getting loads and loads of extra packaging. Obviously, the cardboard boxes are flattened and recycled, but what about the bubble wrap? Once we've sort of used it for venting frustration or maybe on a rainy day distraction, what else can we do with it? Can we put it in for for recycling?
1: No, I'd rather you didn't. It has the same kind of properties of getting wrapped around other things because that's what it's designed for. and, and to be honest, it, it just doesn't suit the kind of infrastructure we've got. The kind of equipment, that the way it operates, bubble wrap, it's kind of flat. So it, it behaves a bit like paper, but it clearly isn't paper. Um, it, it tends to stick to things. So, yeah, no, I'd, I'd rather it was kept out and you found alternative purposes for it. Or speak to the, uh, speak to the company in question. We, we know who they are and make sure they're sending you uh alternative packaging types and i've certainly seen you know online retailers of of, of certain brands who have now been sending shredded paper or cob or a thin cardboard that kind of you scrunch up yeah I'll, I'll take that in the recycling collection any day
0: okay so if we get that we can put that in instead that's good to yeah. know. okay how about your crisp packets toothpaste tubes batteries we see them being collected in shops and schools. So why can't we put them in the
1: bin? If only it was that simple. Um, so they, they can't go in the bin because A, the system wasn't designed with them in mind. So, you know, when you build a recycling center, when you build the trucks to collect, you're building with a, a known composition, a known mix of materials, things that you know have an end market and therefore there's value that pulls the material through, things that you know you can handle given the technology that's available at the time of, of build. And those kind of materials just don't fit nicely. So a crisp packet, well, is it plastic? Is it aluminium? Where, where should it go in the system? It's a composite. And, and, and actually, it's a composite that has grease and salt that weigh just as much as the packaging does. So in it, when it comes into my system, it's likely... To produce residue that goes onto other materials that maybe we don't want. We come back to contamination. But or equally, where does it go in the system? Do I want it in my paper load? No. Do I want it in my aluminium load? Well, even they're not keen on it at the moment. And at the moment, I'd have to decontaminate it, I'd have to do something to it, clean it and wash it, which is why you don't want it in the household stream in a traditional sense. But these capture systems, the terror cycles of this world, for example, doing these, these take back schemes. They're tending to be paid for or sponsored by the companies in question. So the toothpaste has a couple of big brands behind it. Uh, Chris Packets, similarly. And, and what they're doing is they're recognising that their materials are hard to handle in the traditional system. But they want their materials to be going round the loop, even if it's not an end market that's traditional recycling, i.e. bottle to bottle. These materials may end up going into furniture. Or, uh, or into the material that you find on the bottom of play gr- outdoor playgrounds, for example. So they're giving them a second life, but they're not easily looped into a traditional recycling where it goes round and round bottle to bottle several, eight, nine, 10 times uh, or whatever. So the company is getting some of their material captured, albeit you've got to make the effort to go to that site or that that, that business is, is supporting it. And some of that material will go around a loop at least once more, and and that's how the TerraCycle and you know and other models work. It, it's a start, and I think what it's doing is giving those companies an opportunity to understand the real costs of a system like that. And some of those companies, you know, you look at you know crisp packets and others. We, we've done work this year looking at how you bring flexible packaging into the traditional recycling scheme, and and. In the future, I would expect most households to have some of those materials collected from their door, but it won't be today and it won't be tomorrow 2024 2025 when all of the big policy reforms that government have been talking about in recent weeks come to fruition. We think there'd be capacity on the vehicles, we think our, our recycling centers will have capacity because some of the material would have gone to other systems. We, we think we'll be able to handle some of that. But again, you've got to make sure that there's an end market that really wants it because we don't want to keep building park benches, do we?
0: <laughs> well, it's quite nice, to, you know, while we're out and about, or about the end place we can go at the moment. But <laughs> but no, that, that makes sense. And it's good to know that um, these schemes may help develop stuff in the future and bring it down the line. Because obviously, bottles at one point would have been an alien concept to be. Recycled, so we have to start somewhere, don't we? So I think that's
1: great. I think I think you're right. I think I think there's an evolution to everything we do, and you know, and I think sometimes people think you 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 should have all the answers on day one, and I and, and I, I wish it was. Oh, why simple.
0: haven't you, Adam? <laughs>
1: well, well, partly because it's a complicated system, and, and you know, as my five ninety shows, you've got consumers who do one thing, and retailers and brands who do one thing, and then you've got us in the middle, but you've got local authority setting the local rules, you've got government. Changing the policy structure, and then you you need end markets that want the material to want to put it back around the system. One thing changing doesn't always mean the entire system moves. And what you need is the entire system move if we're going to capture all the toothpaste tubes and and all the crisp packets in the UK tomorrow. Because you know there's a lot of lot of crisp packets that goes into a ton of material. And if you haven't got a ton of material, who's going to want it? You know, the end market doesn't want you know a couple of hundred kilos of stuff they want bulk so they can guarantee that their processing systems work it's it's complicated but you know we've made a lot of progress in the last 20 years on what we can and can't recycle
0: So, messaging to people who say to us why can't we is just keep doing what we can do do what we can do right and yes it'll all improve so we're on the journey great so i've got this is a bit of a strange one that came in the other day um People say to us well what's the point of recycling because it's, go- it's not being kept in the UK it's going abroad and I was specifically asked about Uganda so I don't know if you know anything about that um, but can you reassure us that I mean as we've said before you know we did say about material earlier it does need to stay yep. in the UK but can you explain why some mater- some UK material, might be ending up in foreign countries? So,
1: so there's probably about fifty percent of our plastics are getting exported for, at, at a UK level for for re, re, reprocessing. Now, and, and interestingly, Suez is sending almost no plastic overseas at the moment and haven't been for for a couple of years. Partly because we were concerned about global market fluctuations, but but also because you know dealing with these things close to home makes sense where you can. But we have a capacity issue in the UK. And that is more people are recycling more bottles and more paper plastics than generally than, than we can handle. And that's because over time, recycling has become more normal. More people want to do it. More businesses are now getting involved, which in the early days of recycling, very few businesses did any. So there's there's more streams of this material becoming available and plastics have become more prevalent in the last 20 years than other material streams, things like paper, Uh, and card and glass of lost market share. So we've got a plastic imbalance. We don't produce a lot of plastic bottles in the UK, but we consume an awful lot of plastic containers. So where are they coming from? Well, they're coming from Southeast Asia, they're coming from Eastern Europe, they're coming from other parts of the world. Um, And they have a demand for the polymer to go back into the closed loop recycling system. So they want the recycled content and they can't be satisfied purely by their local consumers because they're exporting lots of products so they export as much as they use locally and therefore if you don't give them back some their system stops to work stops working doesn't it because they haven't got enough feedback. Yeah, so be. ultimately polymers plastics are a global commodity just as paper is just as other fibers uh and, and aluminium and steel are no different the global commodities and are traded and such and so i i, I I think the sentiment that bringing material back into the UK and keeping it here is good. And we're gonna need the government to incentivize that. And I think they will do in the, in the next few years because that will create jobs, it will create certainty. Um, and I think it will create confidence in, in consumers in particular that things will be done properly. But I would argue that you know the last 10, 10 years and the next five years where, we, where international markets have been used, 99% of the time, that material is being recycled. It's going to proper infrastructure in proper locations with proper regulations and proper auditing to ensure that it's recycled because none of us want our brand our logo our business to be hauled up on, on national tv because we're on a beach in malaysia Absolutely. we've been found in a river in in indonesia it's not good business so so we we spend a lot of time as an industry checking those end markets and checking where we're where sending material to. And and some of us have been investing heavily in, in infrastructure that's now operating in the likes of Indonesia, and Vietnam and Malaysia, where they're operating to standards that we would, we would say are very Western. You know, they're, they're kind of well-regulated, well-policed um, and in good condition. And, and, and so we are comfortable that this, the loop is working, it's just not a local loop. Um, the Uganda situation I can't comment explicitly, it's certainly not any of the material that I'm, I'm conscious of, but there, there are, the system isn't perfect. It's not controlled by, by three companies. There are lots of intermediaries that are handling bits of material on behalf of parts of the system. So you know, the, the, the answer to the Uganda situation is we need to make sure that all of the bits of that system are operating to a minimal standard that is great. And let's raise the bar and that way any exports that happen are going to the right place for the right reasons and the loop is being closed. And we can continue, therefore, to buy, you know, recycled content products and packaging in the comfort of knowing it's been recycled at the right price at the right time. And, you know, the last thing we want is to say we're only going to have UK reprocessing of plastics and the cost of our plastic bottles suddenly goes up significantly because the cost of land. The cost of labor and the cost of energy in the UK is significantly more than other places in the world where maybe the recycling system is just as effective. And so I think, you know, it's not a simple black or white, but for the next five to 10 years, we will be exporting material because we just haven't got enough infrastructure. I suppose the question I would ask the, the consumer is, are you really worried about where your stuff is recycled or would you rather that your packaging was still cheap and recycled?
0: Yeah. And I suppose it's also, we buy stuff that we know comes from abroad, so it makes sense that the packaging that comes with it. Yeah. That Great makes sense. sense. No, thanks, Adam. Um, we talked about the clear trays earlier. and One question that I got asked was things like your Easter eggs and your Christmas selection boxes. Obviously, Christmas, we noticed that the packaging of the sweet trays had turned clear and lots of people are doing lots of work with the Easter eggs at the moment. But I don't know about other people, but I know when my kids have had their chocolates, the tray goes back in the cardboard, back in the box, back in, and then they put it in the recycling because it's plastic and cardboard, mum, so it could be recycled. I've been told, don't put them all together, separate them. What happens if we put them all together, Adam?
1: Well, that's a good question. You, you, you kind of, I'm hiding, I'm hiding the plastic. They won't see it, <laughs> um, and 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 that's the point. We won't see it. There's a good chance that the the, the the box, the cardboard will go in the back of the lorry. It'll get squashed against something else, and therefore nothing can come out of it because it's been squashed. It gets on my conveyor belt, and what do we see It's cardboard, bang, cardboard. And we've picked it off, and it's gone in the cardboard system, and now the machine is dealing with cardboard. Um, and in, at some point later on, and it might be you know, after it's left our site in a big bale of super quality cardboard that you now realize that 10% of that content it's is the plastic <laughs> layers that none of us could see um, because none of my staff have x-ray vision and the belt isn't going slow enough for us to physically open every single one of them, particularly post Christmas when the tonnage we handle is 15 to 20% more than at any other time of the year. You really, you know, you've got to make it a bit easier. So definitely sort those two separately, put them in, and let the machines do what they're designed for. Let let my system work properly.
0: So obviously we're talking there. We were talking about that specific example, but in general, you'd rather us keep it clean, dry, loose. Keep yes. it all separate.
1: Chuck it all. Good up. messaging. Clean, clean, dry, loose.
0: Yeah, we like that one. <laughs> I, I, like I just wanted one. to check yeah. that it was working. <laughs> um Definitely. okay so i'm just checking whether i've got any more questions that we've had put to us i think we've almost done. one that i'd like to ask you and that is what is the strangest thing that you've ever found on that's been put in as recycling i've heard of a few but... things um and i did a talk <laughs> with a few people a while ago and got some interesting answers so i like to just throw that one in to find out what's your weirdest I, uh... item
1: uh, I, I could probably i could probably write a book on this one um so 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 there's there's the i wish it could be recycled category yeah. you know and and anything goes in that category you know there are there are people that are dropping anything that you could possibly name in a bin and hope that well isn't it isn't it plastic i thought it was plastic so i won't bore you with that category because you can have yeah. you could have a field day okay here's the two um it's not not specific to plastics but when when we do green waste collections, yeah. garden waste, um, I've had a green chair, a green rug, <laughs> and 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 green kitchen utensils,
0: obviously, <laughs> because
1: you know gr- obviously green 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 is green, isn't it? So I'm 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 not sure what the local messaging was around green, but it, green means green waste, garden waste, not just anything that's green. But if you want to know the, I mean, I've had a diamond ring, oh wow, <laughs> um, a very expensive one, and and I had, and I had um, I think there was a there was a lottery winning ticket in one of our Murphs that that we got a ring about a phone call, stop, can you find <laughs> it? And um and I and I believe there was quite a quite a wad of cash that oh, no. was in the bottom of a of um an elderly lady's um. Biscuit because that's where she keeps her cash um and when they were doing a house clearance after she died unfortunately it had been cleaned out and then one of the one of the daughters had, had, had remembered that where she kept her cash and there was another phone call to um yeah, to, it, to go was, rescue it. the
0: diamond ring was quite recently wasn't it the... it was
1: it was up in the northeast and it, yeah, it, made, it made the news and and, yeah. and we did repatriate it to the customer but that if you want amazing. more. It, it was amazing. You're absolutely right, and I think I mean the staff were brilliant, and and you know the effort that goes in because let's be honest, there's a lot of material flying around at yeah. a lot of speed. So we had to pick that out. was incredible. But my my personal favourite, and the one that I saw first hand, was a was a 15 foot boa constrictor, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and it was dead. I mean, it, it was dead, so fair, fair enough. I mean, they weren't expecting me to handle the, the thing living, because that would have been a really interesting. But I'm not sure what definition of recyclable. I mean, they, they obviously no. didn't have enough space in their usual bin, but
0: no, I know. they normally shed their skins? But <laughs> well, you, can you imagine you pick up a couple of
1: layers of cardboard sitting on the conveyor belt, and you, you, you're face to face with a 15-foot python? I'm just you, <laughs> the, the, the pickers on that day weren't weren't too happy with us, to be honest. No. With um. yeah you'd be amazed at what comes through our sites but thankfully you know 90% of people doing 90% of the right thing so it's these are these are not although they although they're common they're not all the time and no, that's, that's the good. important thing most yeah. people get it right
0: yeah no and obviously we don't recommend putting snakes or your diamond ring or tins of no. money into your recycling <laughs>
1: <laughs> or, or any other animal for that matter, thank you.
0: Okay. Thanks ever so much, Adam, for joining us and helping us clear up some of that. It's only now fair to let you ask a question. If there was one thing that you could ask people to do or not do, what would you ask them to do?
1: Um I, I would I would ask them how often they actually look at the labels. Um and, and does it ever give them confidence and comfort that they now know what to do? Um, And I'm sure the answer would be what labels. And if I do now, I'm just more confused because they all look like they're recycling when we know that many of those labels don't really mean recycling at all, certainly not in the UK. Um, so that, that's that's one I've, I've been challenging my Interesting, I'm on the green committee in my local village, and um, I, I've just written a piece for the local magazine on, um, on demystifying the label. And uh, some, some of the feedback I've had from my neighbors, apart from the fact that, that they now think I'm a bit of a lunatic, um, <laughs> is Cause I look at labels and I'm like, no, no, my day job's looking after recycling. I'm not sitting looking (laughs) at labels for a living. I'm not that bad, but they're like, oh, wow, all these labels and they all mean nothing. I mean, this is crazy. (laughs) Um, So I I think I would ask them that. And then, and then if I had another opportunity, I would, I would ask them if they'd like to come and visit.
0: That would be because really in, yeah.
1: in all my years of, of a working local government and doing site visits for schools and then, you know, working, at, working as a consultant, taking, you know, local authorities round sites to see what they could have in the future. And now with my, my you know, my time at Suez where I take brands round to say the that's why your material is not recyclable. Cause look where it ends up. Um, I think it's that eyes wide open. It's the, it's the light bulb moment when people go, Oh, I get it.
0: You just up brilliantly there because I can now do a quick little plug because we are at Pledge to Recycle Plastics looking at doing some little video clips to show people what happens and also doing some work on the labels. So that's all coming in the next sort of few months.
1: So brilliant. Sounds like we're we're, we're all joined up on the big issues.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Thank you ever so much for your time, Adam. I really appreciate your help.
1: My pleasure and good luck everybody. Recycle well and recycle right.
0: Thanks Adam. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for joining the Cutting Confusion Pledge to Recycle Plastics podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and hope that you'll tune in next time to learn more about plastics recycling. Until then, bye for now.